Welcome to the Bob Harden Show, bringing you news and commentary to keep you informed and enjoying life on the Paradise Coast. And now, here's your host, Bob Harden. Good morning. Thanks so much for joining us here on the show. It's brought to you in part by the good folks at Johnson's Air Conditioning. Johnson's Air Conditioning is Naples' longest established air conditioning company. You can find out more. And give them a call. The website is johnsonsairconditioning.com. Also brought to you by Life in Naples magazine. Be in the know and stay up to date by reading Life in Naples. The website is lifeinnaples.net. We have a terrific show for you today, including special guest Mark Schulman. Mark is the founder and publisher of HistoryCentral.com. We'll also visit with Kimberly Bouvier. She is a candidate for Cuyahoga County School District, District 1. Jim McTagg. Is a former Barron's Washington Bureau Chief and author of several novels. We'll visit with Jim as well. It is June the 13th, and on this day in 1966, the U.S. Supreme Court handed down its decision in Miranda v. Arizona, establishing principle that all criminal suspects must be advised of their rights before interrogation. Now considered standard police procedure, you have the right to remain silent. Anything you say can and will be used against you in a court of law. You have the right to an attorney. If you cannot afford one, one will be appointed to you. You've heard those words so many times on television and film dramas, and it has become almost cliché. The root of the Miranda decision goes back to March the 2nd, 1963, when an 18-year-old Phoenix woman told police that she had been abducted, driven to a desert, and raped. Detectives questioned her story and gave her a polygraph test, but the results were inconclusive. However, tracking the license plate number of the car that resembled the one of her attackers brought police to Ernesto Miranda who had a prior record of as a peeping Tom. Although the victim did not identify Miranda in a lineup, she, uh, he was brought before the police custody and interrogated. What happened next is disputed, but officers left the interrogation with a confession that Miranda had later recanted, unaware that he didn't have to say anything at all. The confession was extremely brief and differed in certain respects from the victim's account of the crime. However, Miranda appointed a defense attorney, who was paid just a slim $100, didn't call any witnesses at the ensuing trial, and Miranda was convicted. While Miranda was in Arizona State Prison, the United Civil Liberties Union took up his appeal, claiming that the confession was false and coerced. The Supreme Court overturned his conviction, but Miranda was retried and convicted in October 1966, remaining in prison until 1972. He was later stabbed to death in a men's room, of a bar after a poker game in January 1976. As a result of the case of Miranda, each and every person must now be informed of his or her rights when in custody and about to be interrogated. The Miranda decision. Great decision, by the way, I think. Everybody should be aware of their rights. By the way, I'm glad to be back after hip replacement surgery. Uh, the whole process is behind me right now, and I'm just really pleased, healing quickly. A special shout-out to my orthopedic surgeon, Dr. George Markovich, and his team. I think they did a great job, and I'm just so pleased that uh, little things like being able to sleep on my back and stand straight and upright uh, really mean a lot to me. So I'm grateful for the healing process and glad to be on this side of uh, the entire process. Well, a bipartisan group of senators announced a deal on gun control uh, legislation yesterday in the wake of a recent mass shooting, though the compromise excludes President Joe Biden's assault weapons ban and raised minimum age for rifle purchases. Uh, didn't include that. The deal includes Republican priorities such as expanded mental health services and school safety. It nods to Democrat priorities by adding expanded background checks for those under the age of 21 who will now have juvenile records screened before purchases. A press release from the uh, bipartisan group outlines the contours of the proposed legislation. So here it is. By the way, this is a bipartisan group of 20 senators, 10 Democrats and 10 Republicans, who got together on this with uh, the typical names, Lindsey Graham, uh, Mitt Romney, uh, Rob Portman and others, uh, Joe Manchin, who were included in uh, this uh, legislation. Today, we're announcing a common-sense bipartisan proposal to protect American children, keep our uh, schools safe, and reduce the threat of violence across our country. Families are scared, and it's our duty to come together and get something done that will help restore their sense of safety and security in their communities. 
Our plan increases needed mental health resources, improves school safety and supports for students, and helps ensure dangerous criminals and those who are adjudicated as mentally ill can't purchase weapons. Most importantly, our plan saves lives while also protecting the constitutional rights of abiding citizens. We look forward to earning broad bipartisan support and passing our common sense proposal into law. Uh, the proposal included uh, support for state crisis intervention orders, for example, provides resources to states and tribes to create administer laws that help uh, ensure deadly weapons are kept out of the hands of individuals whom a court has determined to be significant danger to themselves or others, consistent with state and federal due process and constitutional protections. Uh, investment in children and mental health for services and national expansion of community behavioral health model major investment in increased access to mental health and suicide prevention programs and other support services available in the community. So it goes through this uh, list of some, some very uh, actually good things that have, are long overdue. For example, being able to uh, seek out those that are mentally ill and be able to provide support to them. Uh, and in fact... Telehealth invests in programs that invest, uh, increase access to mental and behavioral health and uh, reviews uh, the uh, behavior of people under age 21 uh, and uh, those that are purchasing guns on behalf of others. So President Joe Biden announced Sunday his support of the uh, bipartisan gun control agreement despite his misgivings that he went on to say, obviously does not do everything that I need it. I think it's needed but it reflects important steps in the right direction and would be the most significant gun safety legislation to pass Congress in decades, Biden said in a statement. The agreement does not include Biden's demand for a ban on so-called assault weapons, raising the minimum age to 21 for the purchase of some semiotic rifles, or banning high-capacity magazines, but Biden's urged Congress to pass the legislation thinking Republicans and thanking Republicans for working with Democrats to get something done. That's what he, everybody wants, to get something done. So uh, that is now going to go on to the House and Senate, if it can be passed. Of course, the Senate has a 60% requirement to avoid the filibuster. So we'll see where this all goes. Well, U.S. stock futures dropped on Monday morning this morning, putting the S&P 500 on track to fall back into bear territory and possibly to a new low for 2022. A jump in short-term rates drove the negative sentiment as investors still reeling from a hotter-than-expected inflation report on Friday, braced for the Federal Reserve to raise rates later in the week. The S&P futures fell 2.3% after the benchmark closed Friday, down 19%. From its record high and just about 2.4% above its sell-off low from last month, the S&P 500 briefly traded in bear market, down 20% from its high about three weeks ago, but failed to close in that territory. The stock market then bounced in late May until selling returned last week. Futures tied to the Dow Industrial Average dropped 573 points, or 1.8%. So, Markets, is, markets are getting creamed this morning. Let's see what happens. It should be a, a very interesting week. Uh, but in spite of all that, this administration claims that the economy is the best in decades. I'm not kidding. They're really saying that. Axios ran a story called America's Hidden Boom. It argued that the U.S. economy is doing extraordinarily well. <laughs> the bottom line, things haven't been so good for for so many in decades. Uh, Dean Baker of the uh, Center for Economic and Policy Research told the New York Times, you have to go back to the late 90s to find a similar era. Before that, the 1960s. The verdict on now, all that nonsense is false. The U.S. economy is doing terribly. Inflation is running at the worst level in 40 years. 55% of Americans think we're in a recession, including a plurality of Democrats. 83% of Americans say the economic conditions are poor or not good. Real wages are plunging, which means that extremely tight labor market conditions are not helping American households. Unemployment is very low, but is just as low as in the pre-pandemic Trump administration with much lower inflation. Home affordability is nearly at an all-time low. Gas prices keep setting new record highs. 
this is not the best decade in, uh, in uh, economy in decades for sure. I don't know how they can say that. It doesn't do anything for their credibility, and it just casts dispersions on other things they might say that quite possibly could have more truth in them, but uh, they continue, quite frankly, to lie. Joe Biden got heckled by far-left environmentalists at the Summit of Americas this week. He participated in an inaugural ceremony, the Ninth Summit of Americas at the Microsoft Theater in Los Angeles. The Summit of Americas, a major gathering of Western Hemisphere leaders this year, was hosted by the U.S. in Los Angeles. Things didn't go so well for Joe Biden. Heads of state didn't get their invitations to the event until very shortly after, before it was to start. By some reports, there was two, new, two weeks' notice, and that's not done with heads of state in real world, given the huge planning needed for delegation that's required. A ban- banana republic in a Wobegon region might try it, or perhaps the late, unlamented Venezuelan dictator Hugo Chavez, who did everything on the fly. In fact, uh, Vladimir Putin used to hate this behavior when Hugo would popping into Mexico, <laughs> into uh, Moscow on short notice. This time, though, it was Joe representing the standard bearer United States for this behavior. Naturally, this left uh, quite a few of their noses out of joint, and U.S. officials had to beg the leaders of Argentina and Brazil to please come and clap. They got what they wanted only when the White House officials promised their bilateral meetings with Joe later on. Uh, Joe betray, uh, will probably betray this particular promise. We'll see. Worse was the absence of Mexico's president on claimed objections to not... Uh, that not every leader was getting an invitation to the event. For example, Venezuela and Cuba were left out. And the leaders of three Central American countries known for shipping tens of thousands of illegals to the U.S. as a record migrant caravan bears down on the U.S. border, they didn't show up either. Biden stumbled up the stairs as he was boarding Air Force One for Los Angeles. Then Biden met by a protester rushing the motorcade, uh, which had to be subdued. Meanwhile, a lot of the countries didn't show up because of the poor way that the Biden team dealt with the event. While objecting to the human rights violations of Cuba, Nicaragua, and Venezuela is a good thing, and should encu- we should encourage that. How weak is it that we are giving the Northern Triangle countries $1.9 billion and they can't even show up for an event for our country? Can you believe that? $1.9 billion. Well, when El Salvador to whom we are giving a ton of money, wouldn't even take the Secretary of State Anthony Blinken's call, and even the New York Times is writing about it, you know it's a debacle. We'll see what Mike Mark Shulman has to say about this in a few minutes. Uh, this segment of the show brought to you by the good folks at Johnson's Air Conditioning, Naples' longest established air conditioning company. I hope you'll visit the website, johnsonsairconditioning.com. Also brought to you by Life in Naples magazine. Be in the know and stay up to date by reading Life in Naples. The website is lifeinnaples.net. Coming up, Mark Schulman, founder and publisher of HistoryCentral.com. That and more right here in the Bob Harden Show on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. Stay tuned for more of the Bob Harden Show here on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. I'm Bob Harden, the host of The Bob Harden Show. One of my favorites for breakfast or lunch is Lulabee's Diner, providing great service, fabulous food, and a rockin' good time. Lulabee's Diner is a throwback to the 60s, complete with great music and a fabulous 60s decor. What I like best is a blend of great food, great value, and terrific service. Most of the friendly waitstaff has been part of Lulabee's for years. I enjoy the great choices for breakfast and lunch, and you'll find the menu has everything and anything to satisfy your taste. Lulabee's offers catering, party platters, lunch boxes, and more. Lulabee's Diner will quickly become one of your favorites for breakfast or lunch. No reservations are needed. Check out the website at lulabees.com and stop by Lulabee's Diner, open from 8 a.m. until 2 p.m. seven days a week. Lulabee's Diner in the Green Tree Shopping Center at the corner of Immokalee and Airport Pulling Roads. Stop by Lulabee's Diner for fabulous food and for a forever cool rockin' good time. Mm-hmm. 
Collier County Sheriff Kevin Rambaugh says the number one reason the elderly become victims is isolation. The Collier Senior Center goes a long way in keeping seniors connected with the community and with each other. The Collier Senior Center, located at 4898 Coronado Parkway in Golden Gate, provides comprehensive information regarding services and resources that affect the quality of life of older adults and their caregivers in Collier County, empowering them to maintain independent and meaningful lives. Here's Esther Lully, director of Collier Senior Center. Everyone, every senior is welcome. There's diversity there. It's vibrant. It's a caring atmosphere. So there's a reason we offer the services and programs that we do. We want to help enrich the lives of senior members and provide support to their caregivers. Want to find out more? Visit CollierSeniorCenter.org. That's CollierSeniorCenter.org. Or call the Collier Senior Center at 239-252-4541. That's 252 252- 4541. Welcome back to the Bob Harden Show. And now here's your host, Bob Harden. Thanks so much for joining us here on the show. It's brought to you in part by Choice Social. Choice Social is a new, refreshing social networking platform, and you can find out more and download the app by visiting the website choicesocial.us. Coming up, we're going to visit with Jim McTagg, former Barron's Washington Bureau Chief. Right now we have with us Mark Shulman. Mark is the founder and publisher of HistoryCentral.com. It's a website good for kids of all ages, a multimedia website. He's also the author of several books, mainly on past presidents. Mark, thank you so much for joining us. Always a pleasure, Bob. Thank you, Mark. I thought it might be appropriate to start off with the whole notion of inflation. Of course, we're experiencing inflation right here around in the United States, but also it's a worldwide phenomenon. What are your thoughts? Absolutely. It's a worldwide phenomenon, um, and the whole world is sharing the same basic causes of it. I mean, it's greater or lesser depending on the country and sometimes the fiscal policy, monetary policy, but by and large, the whole world is suffering from it been caused by three interrelated factors. Factor number one is the fact that oil prices went up as high as they went, and worldwide oil prices went up primarily because they had been so low during the middle of uh, the COVID-19 crisis. As a matter of fact, if I don't know if anyone remembers, the, the price of crude oil was negative for a short period uh, during the beginning of the crisis because they couldn't, no one would buy the, the crude oil at oil. So at that point, producers cut back, and then the economies of the world uh, came back very quickly, and there's been a shortage. And the shortage, of course, is partly psychological. That allows people to raise the prices of oil. And so the oil producers raise the prices, and we've seen worldwide the price of oil goes up, um, you know, it's gone up phenomenally. And, of course, that affects gasoline prices, heating oil prices, and everything else. But that's a world... Price of oil is a worldwide number. It doesn't vary from country to country yep. uh, pretty much at all, unless it's subsidized by somebody. Uh, number two, um, we have the supply chain issues, which continue. Uh, supply chain initially caused by COVID, caused by shipping problems, container problems. The price of shipping increased by tenfold, sea shipping, tenfold wow. during COVID. And then you have all of the issues, because of everything was out of, out of whack, you have all sorts of ports. First, you had... Port of Los Angeles and ports in the United States were backed up. Now you have, because of the COVID lockdown, the ports in China all backed up tremendously. So you're having all sorts of shortages all over the world. And, of course, a shortage of key components results in a shortage of some product. And, of course, when there's a shortage of a product, what happens? You know, basic economics isn't enough product. Prices go up because shortages create uh, raising of prices. And then finally, we have a worldwide shortage of labor, believe it or not. Or a, I um, pretty much it's worldwide at this point. I mean, I'm not talking about Africa, but, but Europe is, has a shortage of, of, of workers. The United States has a shortage of workers. China is having a shortage of workers at this point as it's managed to get the last of its um, rural workers into, the, into urban settings, and there aren't any more people to come to fill out the workplace. And as a matter of fact, more people are retiring from the Chinese workforce every day than are entering the Chinese workforce every day. And, of course, we've had a decrease tremendously in immigration in the United States and also in Europe because of COVID. Um, and the result is a shortage of workers. And, of course, what happens when there's a shortage of workers? 
uh, price of workers goes up. People get raises, which of course they need to get because of inflation. But it all becomes a, a, a terrible circle because you have three different things causing inflation. And I'm sorry, there's actually a fourth thing. The fourth thing that causes inflation is expectation of inflation. So if you expect there's going to be inflation, you raise your prices. If you expect there's inflation, you're going to demand more money and wages. And of course, that begins a, a cycle that continues. Well, something that feeds so into this problem is... problem shared all over the world at this point. Yeah. And, 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 wouldn't you say that the uh, the green movement has really fed into this in terms of creating the expectation for higher prices for energy? I mean, uh, there, uh, I think it's happened here in the United States for sure. No, I don't think that's true. I mean, the green movement in, in what sense? The, the The price of oil increased because there was a shortage. The shortage was created by the fact that people had cut back in... In production, I mean, we can look at it a di- completely different way. By the way, people don't even realize this. Um, the price of gasoline is much higher, obviously, than it, than it was a year ago, or more than it was ten years ago, or fifteen years ago. But the average American car now gets 2.5 times the mileage that it got, uh, let's say, in the 1970s. Mm-hmm. So five dollars in gasoline goes a lot further than it would be if this was the 1970s, and that's actually a, a, a sort of result of the green movement. Obviously, the increase in gas efficiency of all cars and trucks and even buses. I'm, I'm speaking so of a, the movement away from carbon-based fuel is what I'm speaking of, and the the for example the expectation that for example producers understand that uh, it's not going to be supported by government policy, so they. You know, n- not drilling uh, when they possibly could. So, in other words, no, at this point, everyone's drilling. But the price of oil is high as it is. People are drilling. There's no question about that. No one is not drilling uh, because the fact that in 10 years from now, the expectation is there's going to be less, you know, less need for energy because we're going to be in more of a green economy. It's just the opposite. If you have oil reserves now, you want to get it out as quickly as you can and make as much money as you can. The incentive is not to hold on to the oil reserves because if let's let's say for the sake of argument that the green movement is successful in the sense that uh, 20 years from now the carbon the, you know the economy will use 10 percent of the amount of carbon fuels it's currently using just for the sake of argument if you own carbon fuels right now in the ground you want to get it out and sell it yeah now that makes sense, Mark. So it's a worldwide phenomenon right now, but of course, uh, we're, I think our U.S. policy right now is exacerbating inflation here in the United States. What are your thoughts? I don't know. I mean, look, the, the problem exists almost in every country in the world, so it's hard to say that the American uh, policy is um, exasperating it. Look, the, the U.S. had a, had a, you know, a, a more liberal, let's call it liberal in a sense, uh, monetary policy, and that may have contributed a little bit towards towards the issue. But uh, Great Britain has the exact same uh, the exact same inflation rate as the United States does right now. Uh, Europe has a slightly lower. Um, it, it's hard. and of course China. We don't even understand what the inflation rate might might or might not be in China because it's a it's a fixed economy. But um, I don't know. I, I don't know which policies right now are the ones that are causing would be causing inflation. You can look back at you know everyone's COVID policies, but that's everyone's COVID policies. Obviously, was a you know an over um, an overcompensation. Possibly, I think mm-hmm. when we look back in history, we'll say there was an overcompensation. But then no one could have expected there would be such a quick um, return to production in all over the world. Very so interesting. The economies came back very quickly, so that's something that's part of the problem. By the way, yeah. Very interesting. Well, thank you for that, Mark. Let's let's move now to what's happening in terms of world affairs, including uh, Ukraine. So right now, there's a, to a large extent a war of attrition going on in the, in, in the southern Ukraine. Uh, the Russians have been making very small incremental gains. Um, in part, they've been a counterattack by the Ukrainians that have also making very very small uh, incremental gains. Two things we need to keep in mind: number one is the Ukrainians are beginning to run out of ammunition. And one of the problems is the Ukrainian army, uh, when this war began, was based with Soviet equipment, mm-hmm. old Soviet equipment, and no one in the West makes that that equipment. So the United States and NATO partners have been giving it a lot of American equipment or Western equipment, but they don't have, and but the amount is not not comparable to the amount of, let's say, artillery pieces that Ukrainians had of Russian make. So there's a shortage of um, of armaments at this point, and we need to understand that. Unfortunately, modern warfare uses a tremendous amount of armaments. The other interesting thing is what um, Putin said this week. 
you know, all these nonsense that it was NATO, whatever reasons, he made it very clear. He's like Alexander the Great, and he's, his goal is to expand the Russian Empire. Hmm. Straight out, he said it. Hmm. Um, so no, there's, no, there's no more false nonsense about it was NATO, or was this, or was that. It's very simply, um, Putin decided he wanted to expand Russia, and Ukraine was where he was going to expand it. And that's the war. That's the war that's being fought at the moment. So, Mark, how much of the forty billion dollars do you think is actually making it to the Ukraine and is being used? That the United States has been declared and. and uh... Well, okay. The, understand the way the forty billion dollars is being done. It's being released in in, in pieces. So it's not. You know, it's a forty billion dollar authorization, but there's no way that we could possibly give them forty billion dollars in arms in a, in one shot. Mm-hmm. Then there was no way they could use $40 billion of arms in one shot. So what's being done is it's being done incrementally, I think basically in billion-dollar in, in billion uh, pieces. Um, how much is going for, from, from what I understand, about 60 to 70% is military and 30% is, is civilian aid of various kinds. But again, it's not being done at one time. It was, it's like saying the U.S. passes a budget for a trillion dollars for the sake of argument. It doesn't spend a trillion dollars in the first week. You know, there's been so much waste in, in for example, the $1.9 billion trillion dollar, uh, package that we provided uh, for because of relief for COVID. And uh, so much of that has been wasted, uh, according to authorities. So uh, just, uh, you know, here that's here in the United States. I'm just wondering how much waste is actually occurring when we're transferring money to Ukraine. Well, don't forget, most of it's not, we're not transferring money mostly, which basically transferring arms. It's being yeah. used to buy, buy arms from you know, either either give the give U.S. arms, in other words, stuff that are in the U.S. stockpile, but then we have to replace the stockpile. Obviously, if we give them all of our artillery for the sake of argument, the U.S. Army needs artillery as well. Right. Um, so that's at least seventy percent is going that way. There's very little actual cash transfer, um, but keep in account that the Ukrainian government, of course, needs cash also to keep operating because its sources of income have pretty much dried up because of the war. Yeah. Um, so I mean, there there have not been. Reports of particular misuse of the funds. I'm sure that two years from now we'll have some sort of a report and we'll find out that five, ten percent of that money was wasted. But that's pretty much par for the course. Yeah, for sure. Um, you know, so let's, let's no municipal project, not to mention federal project, doesn't waste at least ten percent. Good point. The, that's kind of the currency of uh, the charge for for government projects. Uh, let's move to Iran and what's happening there. Okay, so the two parts to what's going on in Iran right now. So, on one hand, the um, International Atomic Energy Commission voted to condemn Iran's non-compliance with its investigation of some sites that it claims the IEEE believes that the Iranians were secretly doing not clear totally what, but the Iranians were not were not cooperating in the investigation. The Iranians, in return for the fact that that the they were condemned, have turned off most of the cameras in the nuclear facilities that were there to prove the fact that they were not um, misusing nuclear fuel and making bombs. So at this point, there's no way of controlling what the Iranians may or may not be doing. Um, the assumption is they're moving forward towards making a bomb at this point. Mm-hmm. How far away they are is a you know, big unknown. Uh, the fact they probably have enough fissionable material for a bomb, that is pretty much accepted at this point. Um, in the meantime, there seems to be a clandestine, um, a clandestine war against the Iranians. Uh, Iranians keep on dying. Today, two more Iranians, members of their military industries, mysteriously died. Hmm. Um, and we've had, Mr. We've had Iranian um, uh, people from their um, nuclear program mysteriously jump off roofs. We've had all sorts of things been going on in uh, in Iran these days. Hmm. So I, I recommend the uh, Apple Plus series called Tehran, which I think, uh, while it's not real life, it's close to real life. Let's put it that way. So uh, it's an Apple has produced a series called Iran? No, it's called Tehran. It's Apple Plus. It's actually an Israeli series that Apple Plus picked up. So it's on Apple TV, it's an Apple Plus, and it's originally an Israeli series. I'll check it out. And it's it's based on a group of Mossad agents in Tehran doing things against the Iranians. It's in its second season now, and 
let's say it seems awfully realistic. Okay, good. I appreciate that, Mark. Take a look at it. So let's let's move our, our interest to uh, France right now. So there were elections in France, the first round of the parliamentary elections. Um, it looks like it's still a little bit early, but it looks like um, Macron's party is slightly ahead. Um, but in this case, it's the socialist left-wing parties that are coming in number two and close to him, while the right-wing party of Marie Le Pen is doing better than it did in the past, but not doing nearly as well as either either Macron's party or the left-wing parties. So clearly, Macron will have a majority in parliament, either by himself or together with some of the left left left-wing parties, um, and the far-right parties will remain outside at this point, but have gotten stronger over the years, no question about it. But the parliamentary elections do not reflect uh, what took place in the presidential elections, where Marie Le Pen got uh, close to 40-something percent of the vote. In this case, it looks like um, her party will probably end up at about 16 to 17 percent of the parliament. So interesting. So, so interesting. We'll see where that goes. Yeah, exactly. Uh, you know, the United States hosted the Summit of Americas in Los Angeles this past week, and I wanted to get your thoughts on what happened. Yeah, I mean, listen, uh, there was very little news coming out of it. Uh, it was problematic from the beginning because some of the countries were not invited, with Venezuela, Cuba, I think Nicaragua, I think it was, and so some of the other countries didn't come because those countries were excluded. Um, the attempt, more than anything else, is to try to uh, stem illegal immigration by trying to keep the people in, the, in their home countries, by development in their countries and trying to create a set of rules based in terms of emigration from the countries. That seems to have been accomplished to some extent, um, but it was not as successful, I think, as people were hoping it would be. That was clear as soon as Mexico decided not to attend, um, as Mexico is our largest border and our largest uh, trading partner in South and Central America. Although I think, I think uh, theoretically they're part of North America, but that's a different story. Yeah. Uh, so did uh, some Central American countries decided not to attend as well. I think they were finally persuaded, but uh, uh, what's with that? I understand how we're providing all this aid and they just decide not to come. Well, it's an interesting question. I mean, part of the problem is this: the issue of the countries that we decided not to invite, uh, which I don't, I don't understand why we decided not to invite them. Uh, look, there's always we've always had this very interesting relationship with the countries of South and Central America. You know, on one hand, they became free of the Spanish because of us and because of the Monroe Doctrine, right? So the Monroe Doctrine is what kept the Europeans from interfering in the um, independence movements that took place in South and Central America in the 1800s. Um, but that same Monroe Doctrine with its Roosevelt Colliery gave the United States the ability to intervene, and we intervened in an awful lot of countries in South and Central America over the years, and you know, mostly for our own business interests. So there is that resentment that exists, and it's a, it's a complicated relationship. Mm-hmm. You know, the United States has been generous on one hand, and on the other hand, it's been controlling on the other. You know, it's one of those interesting situations, and I think any sort of interactions always come with that, that mixed feeling and the mixed relationship the United States has with, with South America, which is different, let's say, than a relationship with Europe, right? Yeah. That was a very different set of relationships and power relationship over the years. So just taking a step back, because we've been kind of in the weeds here in, in our discussions, uh, is the world a safer place right now than it was, say, two years ago? Oh, that's hard. That, that's a hard one to answer. To, it, it's very hard to say it's a safer place because of the invasion of Ukraine. Yeah. Um, clearly, the world is not a safer place um, than it was two years ago or six years ago, for that matter. Um, I think two years would be, you know... the the world today is in one of its more complicated and difficult situations that it's been, I think, since World War II. There's no question about it. You combine, uh, you combine both, um, both the war in Ukraine and the fact that Russia is now a clearly imperialistic power that's trying to expand. You had a worldwide pandemic that um, a killed a lot of people, but created economic. Um, economic havoc in many parts of the world. You have the economic havoc that has existed that's created its own set of problems, and you have the rise of uh, right-wing nationalists 
which has been a phenomenon of the last 10 years and the rise of nationalism generally. So, no, I would not say the world is a better place today than it was 10 years ago or five years ago or even two years ago. I think we've been on a problematic trajectory um, that um, I'm not sure where the solutions lie. I mean, to be quite honest with you, I'm, a, I'm pessimistic as to our our future, and this is not a national future. I'm talking about the human future. Not that I think humanity is going to end at any time, but I think we're in for some difficult times, and I think the multiple causes of it, and last but not least, we have this worldwide phenomenon, which is we're all living in our own bunkers and news bunkers and getting the information that we want to hear and not necessarily the information that's actually true, and that's that's an additional problem. And so, um, and that's not a problem just in the United States. It's a problem all over the world. Uh, no question. Mark Schumann, uh, again, uh, just these are difficult times indeed. It is, in spite of the UN and uh, NATO and all the different organizations that exist in order to keep peace, things look very treacherous right to, out there right now. Uh, don't know if there's going to be a world leader that emerges that can help us uh, lead us to a, to a more peaceful place. No, that's a good question. We, there's no one, let's put it this way, there's no one on the horizon that we all have seen whether it's the United States or in Europe or anywhere else, that that is that kind of leader. Yeah. Um, and a uniter, let's put it that way, because the world needs a uniter. The, United, the world needs people who we can all get behind and say, this is the way to follow, you know, and, and leave some of our partisanship aside. And that certainly doesn't exist in the United States and doesn't really exist in, in much of Europe either at the moment. So. Yeah. Let's hope for better times. What can I tell you? Absolutely. Mark Schulman, again, founder and publisher of a multimedia website. I encourage you to check it out, HistoryCentral.com. Mark, thank you so much for joining us here on the show. My pleasure, Bob. Have a great week. You as well. Thank you. All right, coming up, we're going to visit with Kimberly Boubier. She is a candidate for Collier County School District, uh, School Board, District 1, that and more, right here on the Bob Harden Show on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. Stay tuned for more of the Bob Harton Show here on the Bob Harton Broadcasting Network. Do you suffer with chronic pain and discomfort? After back surgery, I had painful tendons and muscles and difficulty standing upright. On a referral, I visited Dr. Alec at I Am Designed to Heal, Naples Only Vitality and Longevity Practice, where acupuncture, Medical massage, energy healing, and integrative holistic medicine are harmonized to create a -a one-of-a-kind, restorative experience. After only two visits, my pain began to dissipate and I could stand and walk more upright. It was amazing. I plan to continue my treatments to enhance my sense of well-being. Don't suffer needlessly with discomfort and pain. Improve your quality of life. See for yourself and make an appointment by visiting the website IamDesignedToHeal.com. That's IamDesignedToHeal.com, or you can call or text Dr. Alec at 239-322-3817. That's 322-3817. Visit IamDesignedToHeal.com for an amazing, one-of-a-kind, restorative experience. You have questions about your retirement? Ameriprise Private Wealth Advisor Jason Nardella with Nardella Financial Group, a private wealth advisory practice of Ameriprise Financial Services, LLC, can help. With the exclusive Confident Retirement Approach, you'll work together to develop a retirement roadmap to get you where you want to go. Call Nardella Financial Group today at 239-325-1041. That's 239-325-1041. Office is located at 9015 Stratistel Court, Suite 103, Naples, Florida. The Confident Retirement Approach is not a guarantee of future financial results. Investment advisory products and services are made available through Ameriprise Financial Services, LLC, a registered investment advisor. Welcome back to the Bob Harton Show. And now here's your host, Bob Harton. Thanks so much for joining us here on the show. It's brought to you in part by Gulf Shore Playhouse. Uh, building a 44,000-square-foot performing arts center in downtown Naples, but also bringing you professional New York-style theater at its very best. And you can find out more and visit the website, Gulf Shore Playhouse. 
Coming up, we're going to visit with Jim McTagg, former Barron's Washington Bureau Chief. Right now we have with us Kimberly Boubier. Kimberly is a candidate for Collier County School Board District 1. Kimberly, thank you so much for joining us here on the, on the show. Good morning, Bob. Thank you so much for having me. My pleasure, Kimberly. So tell us a little bit about your background and who you are. Well, I'm a mother of a daughter with Down syndrome. She's 16 years old. Wow. I uh, have a background in, <clears throat> excuse me. I started in management when I was young, restaurant management, and then I moved into the area of the medical industry in pharmaceutical and home care. And then I went into the golf profession Wow! and came down to Naples in 97 to get into that profession. And so I pursued my career in golf. And then I did move back to Michigan for a period of time to continue to pursue that. And that's when I had my daughter and I have been homeschooling her for a number of years. She did start off in school, and then I began homeschooling her when I realized that uh, there were issues in the schools that I felt she was better off being homeschooled with me. So that's a little bit about my background. Yeah, so uh, uh, how much did uh, your daughter, having having a special needs, influence your decision to want to run for school board? Quite a bit. Because when I realized all the issues that were going on back then, so many years ago, uh, and, and not just with her, but with my stepson that was in school at the time as well, I was very closely involved with their education. Mm-hmm. I was a very involved parent, and I could see issues arising back then and that really concerned me. Unfortunately, I was not in position to run for school board at that time because my daughter required quite a bit of care. But now that things have changed, I feel very much positioned to be able to take the years of experience that I have had developing my skills for advocating for students and um, applying that to this position. You know, Kimberly, uh, I, for one, am very concerned about what's happening in our public schools right now and in Collier County right now. We spend $1.3 billion, I believe it is. It's the largest budget item that we have here in Collier County, and yet uh, when you take a look at the results of uh, education, uh, reading results, and uh, you can go on, I mean, it's, uh, it's really, it's not, it's not good at all. So why did you decide to run for school board? What, what's important to you about this? Well, I'm running for school board because I want to restore the foundations of academic excellence. As we talked about in our last time, we have 38% of students that's more than a third of our students that are failing English language arts and math in third through 10th grade. And we have some schools with upwards of 60% of our students failing English language arts and math. So we have problems mm-hmm. to address in that area. So that would be one area that I really want to tackle. And we can look to other schools that have uh programs that work we can't just keep making excuses we we've had the excuse of well it's because of the english language learners but we know that that's possible to still teach them we we've seen other well you mentioned massachusetts last time we talked that Mm -hmm. they've done very well with uh students that are learning english as their second language so we can do better. We just need to look to the right models and, and implement those things. And then I also want to bring back traditional values because especially in light of the Uvalde shootings recently that were just horrific and, and my heart goes out to those people uh, that that lost students and teachers, we, we have got to do better. And it's not a gun issue. It is a culture issue it's a value issue life is not valued and respected the way it once was and we've got to bring that back into the classroom that respect for life respect for everyone is is of the utmost importance so i i really think we need to get back to teaching virtues in the classroom I couldn't agree more, uh, Kimberly. And, of course, uh, we hear about critical race theory and some of the other things that are going on in the classroom, <laughs> and more recently about uh, uh, teaching gender uh, the spect- uh, gender spectrum and so forth. Um, are, are these things of concern to you? Absolutely. 
Now, currently, the Collier County Public School System acknowledges that there are that, <clears throat> excuse me, there can be no discrimination on the basis of race and sex, etc. And they handle every issue of transgender students on a case by case basis, inclusive of the student and the parent and the principal discussing the determination of procedures to be followed. Uh, and with the new laws that are in place that affect LGBTQ students, they will go into effect on July 1st. This law will not permit athletes of a different biological sex to compete against each other in the same sport. And I, I'm pretty confident that CCPS will enforce that new law and stating that zero talk will be permitted in grades pre-K through three regarding sexual education and gender identity. And they have dealt with some issues that have come up with non-compliance with the teachers on a case-by-case -case basis. And I wanna make sure that we continue to do so. We can no longer play defense. We have got to work offensively on these issues to ensure that teachers are properly instructed and that there are policies and procedures in place to deal with these things if they do arise. Um, and we wanna make sure they just don't arise because we can't have that. Well, so yeah, I'm confident that we will address that issue more and more once I'm on the board. Thank you, Kimberly. And that, of course, uh, the, the, we have a textbook issue here, not only in uh, Collier County, but also throughout Florida, where uh, we're finding out the textbooks just in many subtle ways, for example, even though uh, they're forbidden from promoting, for example, uh, critical race theory, actually do. And uh, uh, now we've seen that the school board has uh, actually tried to bypass, uh, in my opinion, tried to bypass the, the policy about uh, the, these uh, textbooks. What are your thoughts? Well, my thought is that part of the problem is the publishers. We need to make sure that the publishers are not publishers that are condoning and uh, influencing in their books with the CRT. Right. So we need to choose publishers that don't, for instance, have statements on their websites that they are for uh, issues like Black, Life Ma Black Lives Matter. We have a lot of woke um, publishers out there. Yeah. So, and we, we can choose publishers on our own. We can choose books that are outside of what is on the state list. We just have to make sure that they still adhere to the standards. So we can look beyond. And I think we should, because I think that there's much better out there if we start looking into it. And I, I will point out that most of the recent cases of CRT being taught are by the teachers bringing in supplemental materials from the internet. Huh, interesting. Uh, by the way, I point out to our listeners, your, your website is Kimberly Boubier for schoolboard.com. That's uh, Kimberly B-O-O-B-Y-E-R, Kimberly Boubier for schoolboard.com, all one word there. Uh, Kimberly, what can we do to support your efforts? Well, you can vote for me, first and foremost, on August 23rd. It's an important election. It's a primary, and many times school board elections are determined in the primary. So don't wait till the general or you might not get to vote. Uh, if a candidate can get 50 plus 1% of the vote in the primary, they go straight to their seat. They don't have to go to the general election. Hmm. So that's important to note. We have three districts that are up for election, districts one, three, and five, and any voter in the county that is registered can vote uh, for each one candidate in each of those three districts. Also, please go to my website. Please sign up to volunteer. This is really a grassroots effort. We need as many boots on the ground as possible. We need door knockers. We need people making phone calls. We need a lot of uh, grassroots efforts on this. That would be very helpful. And of course, contributions are always welcome. Each contributor can make up to $1,000 donation. Any donation, any contribution, I should say, is very uh gratefully accepted <clears throat> but you can donate up to a thousand all right kimberly boubier for schoolboard.com is the website kimberly boubier for schoolboard.com kimberly really appreciate your time here on the show thank you so much for joining us thank you so much bob my Give pleasure my pleasure day indeed all right coming up jim mctague former barons washington bureau chief we're going to do that and more right here in the bob harden show on the bob harden broadcasting network Stay 
tuned for more of the Bob Harton Show here on the Bob Harton Broadcasting Network. you have questions about your retirement, Ameriprise Private Wealth Advisor Jason Nardella with Nardella Financial Group, a private wealth advisory practice of Ameriprise Financial Services, LLC, can help. With the exclusive Confident Retirement Approach, you'll work together to develop a retirement roadmap to get you where you want to go. Call Nardella Financial Group today at 239-325-1041. That's 239-325-1041. Office is located at 9015 Stratistel Court, Suite 103, Naples, Florida. The Confident Retirement Approach is not a guarantee of future financial results. Investment advisory products and services are made available through Ameriprise Financial Services, LLC, a registered investment advisor. Luke Provence Restaurant is a favorite dining destination for many Neapolitans, including Linda and myself. Blue Provence, located in a historic building in the heart of Old Naples at Creighton Cove, offers a mix of French bistro cooking with bold, fresh Floridian flavors. Experience award-winning cuisine at Blue Provence and enjoy one of Florida's most extensive, eclectic, and fun wine cellars. Dining to choice are the popular Eden Bar, the intimate Courtyard Garden, or the beautiful Provencal Caribbean Dining Room. Enjoy a wonderful and memorable evening in a casual and relaxed atmosphere that includes a taste of Provencal hospitality. Blue Provence is open seven days a week, all year round. Visit BlueProvenceNaples.com for reservations, everyday specials, and coming events. That's BlueProvenceNaples.com or call 261-8239. That's 261-8239. Blue Provence French Restaurant in the heart of Old Naples. Welcome back to the Bob Harden Show. And now here's your host, Bob Harden. Thanks so much for joining us here on the show. It's brought to you in part by the Foundation for Government Accountability. Among other things, creating policies and programs to get able-bodied folks off of welfare and back to work. It's a moral imperative, and you can find out more by visiting the website, thefga.org. We have with us Jim McTagg, former Barron's Washington Bureau Chief. He's retired now, and he's reading writing novels. His uh, latest novels are uh, Follow the Leader, its sequel, Shake the Money Tree, and its sequel, uh, No Problem. Jim, thank you so much for joining us here on the show. It's a pleasure. I, I, I'm going to sound like a crank because, I, you know, as a crime writer, I have crime on my mind. Uh, and when I was a young uh, journalist, I covered the criminal courts in New Jersey. And one of the valuable lessons from that experience was that that most criminals are idiots. I mean, they're really low IQ people. So, <laughs> so anyway, uh, I'm a native Philadelphian, so I, I checked the Philadelphia news, and uh, there was a 14-year-old boy uh, who uh, last week he was sitting on his front step waiting for a grade school graduation. Somebody drove by and, and shot at him and his friends, and they killed him, oh. 14. And, and I'm reading this story and in this year in philadelphia 1000 people let me repeat that 1000 people have been shot and 222 of them have been killed oh. so it got um we can be deceived by the mass shooting statistics it, you know as i dig into this a mass shooting is defined as uh, any shooting where four or more people are sh- are injured. Mm-hmm. So um, now it's horrible as the mass shootings at the schools are. You know, I, det- I detest that. It, you know, the uh, most of the people who are dying are in the inner cities. I mean, it's just a massive sure. carnage, and 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 we're ignoring it. So so I. I, you know, typical crime writer, what is the solution? And I think one possible solution, which would be economical, is crime is cameras, uh, CTV, they call it. Um, but I, as you look at the literature, the cameras have to be actively monitored to work. Mm-hmm. If it's a passive system, it has little effect on crime. 
And the proof in the pudding of this is Chicago, which has something like a network of at least 10,000 cameras. And, and as we all know, Chicago is one of the most violent cities in the country, if not the world. So um, uh, this is my crank solution, is that people like you and me, either we buy our own security cams and we monitor them uh, actively. I don't mean 24-7, but, you know, regularly. Uh, or we put cameras up in the cities, recruit citizen volunteers, and and put signs up to let criminal know, criminals know that actively monitored cameras are there. And, and the reason I say this is uh, from my own driving habits. When I go through uh, Washington, D.C., which is the speed trap capital of the world, uh, they have cameras all over the place to catch you uh, speeding. They ah. generate millions and millions of dollars a year, very controversial with these cameras. And my iPhone always alerts me that there is a camera ahead. And as soon as I see that alert, I'm on the brakes. Well, so interesting. So, I, I'll say this, though. Unless there's an intent to actually capture the person who's committing a crime, I'm not sure anything's going to work. And, of course, I'm speaking about Kim Fox in Chicago. I'm speaking, I've forgotten the name of the person in, in uh, Philadelphia, but equally, I mean, right now we're going through the recall uh, process of Gascon, and already we've with, with uh, gone recalled the guy up in San Francisco. So uh, that's all good that's happening right now. We're getting rid of those folks. But in the meantime, if they're not going to enforce the law, then uh, no matter what types of tools we're using to, to, to uh, catch these people, they're just going to be released and, and allowed back in the public. Well, uh, you've hit the nail on the head. This is another issue. I think the Black Lives Matter defund the police movement had unintended consequences because uh, if you look at the statistics, more black people are being killed uh, now than before that movement. And most of them are being killed by criminals uh, running unrestrained in their communities right. because the cops are afraid to enforce the law. What we should have had was a police improvement movement, which would involve, of course, better training, but we have to pay the police a lot more so we can recruit uh, more intelligent, more professional policemen. You know, I'm, I'm really, for, for what's happening in Florida, now the uh, governor is paying a $5,000 bonus for anybody who with a good record as a, as a police officer comes to Florida to, in order to enroll in one of the police forces down here, $5,000 bonus. I think that's the kind of thing that can have really major impact. Unfortunately, it's at the expense of other cities in the, in the United States and ju jurisdictions, but, uh, you know, it's a competitive world, isn't it? I mean, you have to compete for, for talent. Uh, you do. You know, I, I always uh, had a proposal where, you know, schools are important too, schools and police, that uh, where you have a neighborhood uh, where real estate has increased in value significantly, uh, you have some kind of a levy on a sale that rewards the police or the schools for, you know, that improvement because, you know, people like to move into communities where with top rated uh, public schools, people like to move into communities that are prosperous and safe. Right. So, so, I mean, I was trying to come up with some carrot and stick solution. Uh, your listeners are much more savvy than I am. And I'm sure uh, if we could somehow organize that brain power, there would be a lot better proposals from your listeners than we get from uh, Congress or, or local lawmakers. Yeah, I must say, uh, to me, uh, the solution is pretty simple. It's just respect for and enforcing the law. I think that's what's really needed right now. And uh, unfortunately, we're not seeing that in our communities. And I think if people understood if they break the law, the, the laws are going to be enforced and there will be consequences there'd at least be second thoughts about breaking the law. Now, you mentioned low-IQ criminals, which really I find quite amusing, but nevertheless, uh, even low-IQ criminals would begin to understand that they're taking a risk they maybe don't want, to, uh, don't want to take. Yeah, if you ever want to laugh, talk to any criminal attorney and have them tell you some stories. Um, I can quickly tell you one if we have time. Uh, Jim, we're just about running out right now, but unfortunately, okay. but I do want to well, hear I'll this. I'll save my stupid criminal story for another time. But um, yeah, this is a big issue, and to me, it's more important 
than, than gun control, it's uh, idiot control. Absolutely. Jim McTaggart, again, the name of his novels, and they're great. They're just terrific. Uh, Follow the Leader, its sequel, Shake the Money Tree, and its sequel, uh, No Problem. Jim, I really appreciate your commentary here on the show. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you for having me. My pleasure indeed. Well, that's a wrap here on today's show. I hope you enjoyed it. We've got great guests lined up for tomorrow's show as well. Always appreciate your comments on the show. You can send me an email at bobharden at hotmail.com. bobharden at hotmail.com. I hope you make it a great day on the Paradise Coast or wherever you are. Namaste. so much for listening to the Bob Harden Show on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. For more information and audio files of previous shows, visit www.bobharden.com. <laughs>